is this the right time to invest in identity and access management? This week, Jesse Kurto from UB Secure has joined us to answer this question and discuss the current economic situation. Stay tuned to find out more. Let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Today's guest is Jesse Curto. Jesse's career has gradually arched from the Wild West world of finance to his current positions as a data protection officer and data scientist at UB Secure. Learning to program before learning to read Finnish and visiting 25 countries before 25, he is no stranger in exploring uncharted waters and discovering connections that others might miss. Surrounded by a delicate violence of the latest technology and dozens of carefully tended houseplants, his secret hobby is writing to his beloved snail mail friends across the world. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you for the invite, Oscar. Nice to be here. Yeah. Great having you, Jesse. Definitely, we're going to have a super interesting conversation about the market and digital identity and editing access management. But first of all, we always want to hear more about our guests. So please tell us a bit about yourself and your journey to the world of digital identity. All right. So like many or even most of others in the digital identity field, I actually never really actively sought to be a specialist, IEM specialist, on purpose. And my personal background is actually not in technology even, but in finance and investing more specifically. So a chance encounter then. I liked the people who interviewed me and decided to stay for a while, and that while has been over seven years now. And I'm still still learning something new every day, checking out how is really the world of digital identity like, and uh, frankly, haven't ever regretted that decision. No two days have really been the same, and the field continues to evolve and develop quite a bit every year. Yeah, excellent. And definitely here in GB Secure, we definitely... Appreciate having this, well, I'd call like a blend of knowledge, the financial, the market knowledge that you bring with the security and digital identity knowledge, very practical knowledge you also had. So it's so it's always super interesting having the, those conversations with you. And for the first time here in the podcast, we are going to have that a bit more financial touch on that. What is coming, especially in this well, this year and I think the, also the years to, to come, previous year and the year to come, I think and we are already end of 2023 in which, well, the financial situation is, is not good. We're going to talk about, but of course, no matter how the economy is, uh, companies, organizations have to protect their services, have to upgrade their services, maintain them, so they have to invest some money in that. So from the perspective of companies who today need to upgrade their digital capabilities, what would you say is the piece of the, the current macroeconomic situation that they should know well? So that was at least what they should know well from what is happening now. Well, first of all, um, we all know that macroeconomic situation hasn't really been dancing on the roses I mean, over the past few years. At first, we had a massive shock 
with the COVID pandemic starting from spring 2020. Then we got massive economic stimulus to recover from that slump. And right after we were starting to climb up, then the war in Ukraine started all kinds of new problems everywhere around the world seemed to emerge just within three, four months. The energy uncertainty in Europe and the economy went down to drain, rain and um, macroeconomically in quite a difficult situation here in Europe. But we would actually want to have some kind of stimulus in order to recover. But at the same time, we are suffering from quite persistently high inflation which makes any kind of stimulus package basically equal to pouring more gasoline to the flames. So the European bank is really between a rock and a hard place here. And I can only look over the Atlantic to the States and be very jealous how they are able to both fight inflation with high interest rates, 5.5% this talking, and meanwhile still have a blisteringly red hot labor market over there. So my first point would be that not all markets are equal. And the second important point is that now is actually a really great time to invest in any digital capabilities, including digital identities. Because now we are in the middle of a small recession in Europe and investing in recessions is historically been the very best time to invest in growth. And if we think for a while, it actually makes perfect sense. After all, the alternative is to invest in the middle of a growth season when everybody else wants to invest in growth as well, pushing prices even higher and reducing the availability of experts to help with these transformation projects. But now it's still for a while kind of a buyer's market. So best time to invest in future growth is now. So time to invest is now. Yes. Okay, so let's go into what, because there are many things that the company can invest now and many things that many companies might need. But if you were one of the yeah, chief executive, like CISO or someone who is top decision makers in companies and there has to be some budget for digital identity, thinking of, first of all, broadly, just broadly, but in digital identity, what would be the most important products that today would be the top priority for buying now? Today, I would say that the absolute top priority would be to establish really low friction user journeys from the very beginning account registration to the actual purchase including solid online self-service. And now this low-friction user journey is no way exclusive with security or compliance, but it is actually reaping the benefits of digitalization. Digitalization is ongoing, it's accelerating, it's unstoppable. So the question is, for every organization, should they try to fight this change to the last or embrace it and be among the first to actually reap its benefits. It's actually interesting because of my background in finance, that many finance sector operators were among the first to embrace digital identities, but they kind of stopped it halfway there. That, okay, we can 
build self-service portals for our users. But for many, many procedures, we still require hand-signed paper documents being sent via physical mail. And this is really only reaping a very small part of the benefits of digitalization. So there is plenty to go. Yeah, interesting what you say in financial service. That's correct for for reasons of security had to be always in the latest of technology for security. But some of the process has been, as you say, very old fashioned, right? The old school, many paper fax, I think, still use or checks. <laughs> some of these kind of... Oh, yes, those ones too. <laughs> <laughs> still alive. <laughs> yes, and it truly hurts the user experience a lot. It even causes direct missed opportunities. Let's say new bond is coming to a market and you wish to buy a piece of it and participate. But if it takes three, four days just to do all the paperwork, then the opportunity has simply passed. Yeah, indeed. The price changed completely. Okay, so you said that the top is to the user journey has to be yeah, has to be digitalized. So that's what a category of products that address that? I would say that real CIM system would be the one to go here and not try to build the user journey from, uh, let's say, four to six point solutions and then somehow glue them together. I think the best solution would be an IEM solution that's designed for a whole user journey from the scratch and not something homemade or patched together. Because when business grows, as it will eventually grow, no recession will last forever, and the user numbers pick up, then suddenly there's a nightmare of issues of having four to six different vendors and trying to keep their products up and running with ever-increasing user numbers. And that, again, is uh, doing digitalization the wrong way, if I may say. And yeah, and CIM being somehow well, the evolution of the more broadly speaking, identity access management. Maybe you can give us an overview of that evolution of the identity access management, what, how it started and what we have today. Yeah, that's a very interesting topic. So the roots of IEM are from big enterprise internal needs. Once the employee numbers just grow to a certain level, they can't be managed with Excel sheets or pen and paper before that. But these kind of internal IEM solutions scale and fit really badly for uh, any customer-facing journeys. Internal users can always be taught how to use some kind of system, even if it's not immediately logical or it feels unwieldy. But for the customers, it's not realistic to expect that they would spend tens of minutes or even hours to learn how to use some kind of system to log in. And no. They would simply instead put down their laptops, pick up the phone and call your customer service. So it will actually just cost you more money to have this kind of system. And now, now in the past 10 years, there have been massive uptake of different CIM systems. And lately, let's say after the pandemic, it's interesting to see that now the full circle is coming back towards internal users with remote working, remote working different kind of partnerships. There are more kind of internal and kind of external users than ever. And trying to keep these as fully separate groups is very challenging. Yes. So 
what about the investment of a company in identity and access management? So what does that imply if the company does not have even, a, let's say, a first version of CIM or open source, something that they started if they if the company really doesn't have, which actually, to me, surprised me that it's, you discover companies don't have it, don't have it, almost anything like identity and access management. And they are looking, of course, for some solutions or they are or they know that they need it. Maybe the decision has not come. So what would you say is, is important for the buyers to know about the product, the, the identity asset management product? Yeah, that's an interesting detail, what you said, that there is still about 20-25% of companies in Europe that do not have any kind of identity and access management system in place. So one could argue that every IEM's company's worst competitor is doing nothing. But to the question you at hand, um, I would say... Uh, Scalability is one very important thing, and compliance. If one doesn't have any kind of identity management system in place, then it's extremely hard to tell where and by whom are the user identities actually stored. And of course, that is a massive no-no in the eyes of the GDPR, and these kind of adventures don't usually end up well. So first job would be to map out how many identities there are in the first place, how it has evolved in the recent quarters, and where they are located, how many systems actually are connected, including partners, including systems like, uh, let's say, payroll providers, insurance providers. And usually the number is quite surprising. It can often be more than 10 individual systems. And now managing all these identities from a single centralized place is frankly a godsend compared to trying to manage this 10 plus sprawling network of identities, some here, somewhere. And of course, it also brings centralized identity management also brings massive security benefits. For example, if you wish to revoke the access for, let's say, um, some external consultants that have already finished their projects, you only have one place to do it, or you can even automate it. But if the identities are in 10 systems, 15 systems, then it's really easy to forget just one. And who knows, maybe five, 10 years later, one of those passwords will get preached and now the attacker gets to your system for free. Yeah, what it's uh, normally called the silos, right? the identity silos, having so many data repositories and it's through the years, it's easy to forget. At least a couple of those are forgotten, but but are still there somewhere in the in some machine in some server. So the data is there. Yes, and of course, I've heard many times the counter argument that it's not wise to put all eggs in one basket. But when it comes to information security, we as the defenders must secure every single system that we use. But the attacker only needs to one find one weak system to exploit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can just find the forgotten one, the one that nobody remembers that. So what the company, so the buyers should uh, ask for a technology vendor, so for a CIM vendor. So what are the most important things that has be, yeah, has be asked to the vendors? I would ask them to demonstrate the self-service capabilities first. What exactly the users can and cannot accomplish without external help, meaning customer service assistance. Because that sets uh, quite 
stringent limits on uh, the benefits of digitalization. And of course, all the usual user journeys should be handled by the system automatically. So I would guess that any IEM project touches deeply. So I would first describe the challenges we're facing, and then I'd ask vendor to explain just in plain English that uh, how does the solution work and how does it actually solve the challenge that we just presented. And after all, one should never invest in anything that one doesn't understand. Another point I would like to address early in any IEM project is that what is actually included in the price and what isn't in order to actually accurately measure the TCO and how it would evolve as internal and external user base grows. And for example, there are many vendors out there that charge 10 to even 100 times for internal users compared to external users. And that's not usually put on a large print on the front page. And finally, I would discuss any coming changes in legislation because I would be very interested to know whether any changes will be covered under the current proposal or will it incur additional project and additional costs in the future. Change is, after all, inevitable. Yeah, I think that's very important. As we know in, in the European Union, it's coming, the digital wallet, so that's going to come in, well, how many years do you predict at this moment? <laughs> I'm optimistic and uh, say late 24 launch for some countries, 25 mass adoption, and hopefully organizational identities soon after. Yeah, and that's something that I think very few people would argue that that will be, that will not have some considerable success because there's a lot of time invested in the people preparing all these new standards. And it's part of the, the evolution, what we have been seeing before with. Uh, self-sovereign identity, the wallet itself is something that's already becoming very popular in the commercial side. So that will come. And similarly, in other geographies, there will be similar initiatives, there will be new regulations. So that's true. All this, the vendor has to has to offer that, has to tell, will we offer or not? So that's definitely a good, good aspect you, you mentioned. Yes. And the commission has made clear goals here to avoid repeating the mistakes of uh, of the EIDAS one that was supposed to bring cross-border digital identities to Europe. Well, we all know that it was a commercial failure, but they have really learned from that and uh, have great hopes for the EUDI, both for personal identities and for the organizational identities, and especially for the latter one, I believe that the market is currently suffering from a kind of chicken and egg problem here, that everybody is waiting for cross-border organizational identities and not building services because they aren't here yet. So we might see the floodgates open in the late 2020s. Yeah, I also believe that a lot will change, more or less like, the, as you said, in, in the 12, 24 months, it's going to change a lot. In a good way, I believe. So it's definitely exciting to be at this moment. We've been talking a lot about identity access management, other aspects, other types of technologies that are also in the in the minds of the executives who are going to upgrade the technologies. We hear a lot about buzzwords in the last years. Uh, well, cryptocurrencies is getting a bit more, more quiet. Today we hear a lot about 
artificial intelligence, would you um, recognize some technology that is actually underrated that not many people are talking about that, but this business buyers should be aware because the impact will be even bigger than those buzzwords. So what would you say? I would say that the coming EUDI and its principle of self-sovereign identities is something that might cause quite big ripples in the, in the identity landscape. The very basic idea that it's the end user themselves who collect attributes and control to whom and when they release those attributes, that, that is very different from the usual data repository-centric view that, okay, we have this database and we control everything here, everything is set in stone. But when the end users actually decide which attributes to release and which not, then one can't take for granted that, okay, we always have every single field in our database field. Every user record looks similar in a structural level. That is no longer true, and that might cause some changes. As for technology, I have great hopes for uh, machine learning, and especially how it can help accomplish not zero trust, no, but zero friction user journeys. And I don't mean a strong AI that is still decades in the future, if ever, but simple things like, is the user using a different device to log in or the same device as before and so on? For example, I was recently having a quick holiday in the, in the US and I was frankly quite shocked when I logged into some financial services using a completely different device that I had never used in completely opposite time of the day. I was even physically located on a different continent and no MFA prompts, nothing. Just inputting my password, I was in. And that's a lot of missed risk management there for both parties, for me as an end user and for the financial service provider. And I believe this is something that will change sooner or later. And of course, I would like as an end user for this to work as work for the opposite way as well. That if I'm logging in using the same device about the same time of the day from the same city that I've done it for hundreds and hundreds of times, then perhaps I could be spared the MFA fatigue and just get in with my password manager's memorized password. The technology don't bother you when you are in the habitual way of interacting with, let's say, the banks. Yeah. Exactly. It should take always the context of the transaction into account. And frankly, what I'd like to see many companies to do is do a more thorough risk analysis that what they are actually trying to defend against. I can give a real world example. About a month ago, I drove to a gas station, put my car to charge, decided that I'll have a coffee there and uh, opened the app and saw, hey, there's an offer for a coffee and a donut, one euro off. Great. Okay. It seems the first I needed to update the app to actually buy it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll do it. Then they wanted to add a credit card directly to the app. All right. Got an MFA from that. Then when I actually wanted to make the purchase, I got yet another prompt and confirmation this time from my bank that the hey, in order to buy this three and a half euro product, would you please update our app again and use it as an MFA to confirm this purchase for the third time now? 
And by that time, I already got notification that, hey, your car has charged and my coffee was called by then and left it there. So that was the opposite of zero friction. That was more of a zero trust-like game. But security solution that's very fitting for, let's say, authorizing nuclear missile launch is very different than the security that's needed to confirm a free euro coffee purchase at the gas station. And as discussed earlier, I believe this problem stems that solution was built from very small parts and every individual vendor only looked after their own interest, only want to save their back in case of any kind of misuse. But nobody took a step backwards to actually see what we are trying to defend against here. What is the what is the attack vector here? That okay, somebody misuses this app and clones this coupon and gets two coffees for and donuts for three euro each. Okay. So how much is an attacker willing to put time and money into such attack? I guess nobody stopped to think about it. And as a result, the whole user journey was just failure. Yeah. Complete failure indeed. Very good way to bring back the very first things you said, like user journey. Yeah, that's a specific example how thing can happen. Sounds like a marvelous uh, opportunity not to get a deal nice and then it becomes a complete failure. Yes, uh, one final question I would like to ask you is, for all business leaders listening to us now, what is the one actionable idea that they should write on their agendas today? I would dream that every executive would dedicate one day, one whole day, to actually be an end user for a day and go through their company's entire flow, all the way from account registration to actually purchasing the product or service that they're selling. And if there's time, trying out things like forgotten password reset. And then the next day, repeating the same procedure for their top competitor, and even more importantly, their newest competitor because that is where the threat of digitalization is coming <laughs> can be very revealing <laughs> yes and it's important to go through the entire journey if one uh, simply checks it piecemeal then of course every piece may look perfectly fine okay this works like this it has confirmations like this great next piece next piece next piece all right Everything looks fine, but then actually going through the process, one gets hit by four or five different confirmations, forced updates, all kinds of non-user-friendly things, and that won't fly. Yeah, definitely a very good experiment, actionable idea, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Jesse, for telling us all this about the, how the companies and why companies should invest in digital identity and why today. Let us know if people would like to get in touch with you or follow you or yeah, learn more about what we are doing. What are the best ways for that? All right, thank you. First, I would ask everybody to check out ubisecure.com and see how we are approaching these problems on the market. And if needed, I would be very happy to have a chat over a virtual or real coffee. And I can be contacted at yesse.kurto.ubisecure.com at any time. Excellent. Again, thanks a lot for joining us, Jesse, and all the best. Thank you, Oscar. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by UbiSecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at UbiSecure and use the hashtag LTADI. 
Until next time.